and we have to build this for a campaign we're doing. And the idea here is to collect email addresses, which at the time was a new thing to move people down the funnel and, and do email marketing. This was what, 2003. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today we are sitting down with John McDonald of The Good. If y'all aren't familiar, The Good is a conversion rate optimization company that basically works with e-commerce businesses, really anyone who is selling stuff online to help them sell more of that stuff and better understand their customers, okay? So they are helping people to optimize their websites to actually get people to do the things that both the people want to do and that the company wants to do, making that user experience as nice as possible. So if you guys are trying to sell anything at all online, whether that is digital products, whether that is physical products, whether that is information, this is going Going to be the episode for you because John is going to go really deep on the things you need to be looking at on your website to make data-driven decisions, okay? To make decisions that will allow you to boost your conversion rates, make more money, um, satisfy more customers, and really just make everything flow so much smoother on your website. Because guys, when I see some of y'all's websites, all these like clunky websites that y'all are sending me on DMs, uh, like check out my website, tell me what you think. Like a lot of them are just so, so clunky. And John is gonna tell you guys how to simplify that down and to really get it to the place where your customer can use it to give you money and you can use it to help the customer receive value. So without further ado, we're going to hop right into the interview with John McDonald. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, so without further ado, we're going to hop right into the interview with John McDonald. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. All right, John, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So John, our listeners got to hear a bit about you and what you're currently up to in the intro to this episode. But for those of them that aren't as familiar with who you are and what you're currently working on right now, give us a quick like 60 second snapshot of where you're at right now. And then we're sort of going to start um, back a ways and work our way up to the present. Sure. So again, my name is John McDonald. I'm the CEO and founder of The Good. The Good is a conversion rate optimization firm. So what that means is we help mainly e-commerce companies to convert more of their existing website traffic into customers. And, and we do that through data science. So helping those brands to track every click and movement that is happening on their website and take that data to understand where people are dropping off in the funnel and uh, how to improve the, the conversion rate. Awesome. I'm super stoked to dive into that. I know a lot of our listeners are um, pretty active in the funnel space, so I'm sure we can provide a lot of value for them in this episode today. But I'm curious to hear sort of where you got started. Since we do have a younger listener base, I like flashing back to like middle school, high school years. So tell mm -hmm. us about what John McDonald was doing at that point in time. Were you getting into entrepreneurship? Were you taking school seriously? What did that look like for you? Yeah, well, uh, two things. I've, I've always been kind of a competitive person, I'm heavy into sports a, a lot of my life. Um, I'm, I'm six foot seven, so wow. I've, uh, I've played basketball quite a bit, still pretty competitively. And uh, in high school, I, I, that was really the number one for me was, was playing basketball, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, I did take school seriously. I think I had like a 3.8, but I kind of felt like it wasn't that challenging, really. Um, and really, I also had a paper out, believe it or not. I was up every morning at five in the morning. There was still the daily deliverable newspaper and uh, rode my bike around and, and tossed papers. To this day, I still think that was an amazing entrepreneurship experience. I'm, I'm sad that that has kind of disappeared because <laughs> I hear a lot of stories about folks who started with paper routes. I mean, even 
I saw a couple of weeks ago, Apple came out with an iPhone game based on Warren Buffett having a paper route as a child. <laughs> and, um, and it's pretty funny. You, you basically just, it's like Paperboy, if you remember the old Paperboy video. Oh, yeah. Newspapers at a house at Target's. And, um, and you know, it, it taught me a couple of things. One is the value of getting up early, right? And getting my day started. Even to this day, I still wake up. My alarm goes off at 5 to 5.15 in the morning. Hmm. And, you know, I start my day with, um, you know, a little bit of meditation, taking some time to myself. Um, you know, I'll have some coffee and, and read through, um, you know, my, uh, my RSS feeds, all the blogs that I like to read just to, to kind of do some self-education a little bit. It's, uh, you know, I only follow things that are really industry related to, to what I'm doing. So e-commerce and funnel optimization and data science. Um, so it's a little bit of education time that I know if I don't do it in the morning, then I'm likely not going to be able to read throughout my day. Um, certainly not in the evenings. And so it's one of those things where getting up early has just been a rhythm that, that now it's just second nature for me. And it all started delivering with a paper route. Paper routes also create education and entrepreneurship. You gotta, you have to sell, right? Go door to door to get people to be subscribers. And uh, secondly, you have to uh, collect uh, at the time. The only way I got paid was either personal check or cash. And I had to go door to door to collect every day and, or every month at the very, at the very least. And so I got to do interactions and um, had to have some uncomfortable situations where people hadn't paid for three months and I need to collect and, uh, and how to manage my money because uh, how paper outs worked was you had to buy the newspapers and then you essentially resold them. So I got a bill once a month from the, um, from the newspaper that was for all the newspapers that they had delivered to me. And then I had to go out and collect for what the, the market rate was and I got to keep the difference. So what that meant was I couldn't collect all the money and not save it. And then I wouldn't have any money to pay the newspaper. So it really kind of taught me accounting at a young age as well. Hmm. So I did that from elementary school all the way through high school. I stuck with it in high school because they offered, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. and the Columbus Dispatch is the newspaper there. And they offered at the time a college scholarship if you um, had a newspaper route for six years or more. Hmm. So every morning, even when it was two feet of snow and I was riding my bike and freezing my, my young butt off, I really found that the... Uh, I stuck it out for, for the college scholarship more than anything else. Hmm. So what did the decision to go to college look like for you? Was that a value that was really enforced by your family? Was that something that you really wanted to do for yourself or like how'd that look? Well, my parents put a, a lot of emphasis on education uh, for sure. It was important to them as, as to, to a lot of parents. Uh, and, you know, my parents are very active in working with me. I have a sister who's a couple years older and I can remember us always having to sit down and do homework in the evenings. Um, as I got older and would have basketball practice, et cetera, it was, they really trusted in me to make sure I was getting those things done. But, you know, going to college was, was at the time, um, just not even a question. It was just something that was kind of expected from where I grew up. I think it's less and less expected now. Um, I think that I, I'm really encouraged by, you know, the, um, the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world, if you will, who, who are saying, you know, it's not for everybody. And I would agree with that. Um, you know, but going to college, I think 
it was almost an expected thing. Also, I was recruited pretty heavily for basketball to go mm. play at the next level. Look, I, I knew I wasn't going to the NBA. Um, that was never really on the roadmap. I'm, I'm a decent basketball player. I'm physically talented, but I was by no means uh, at the level of some of the folks who, who go on to that, that extreme. So when I started thinking about that, I could have gone to some bigger schools, rode the bench, probably had basketball take a priority over education and not learn as much, or could go to a small school that was a uh, higher caliber, caliber education, put a little more emphasis on learning and make sure that, that that became a priority. And so that was what I chose to do. I went to uh, a division three college for athletics, which means they don't give an athletic scholarship and they're generally a smaller school. The school I went to is called Oberlin. It's out of, uh, outside of Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. small private liberal arts school, about uh, 4,000 students maybe. And uh, which was actually smaller than my high school. My, my graduating wow. class had over a thousand in it. And so it was quite the change for me to go from a, a massive high school to, uh, you know, a college that, that maybe, you know, had fewer students overall. Hmm. So what did you, what did you say I study and, and what was sort of your plan there for, for how you were going to transition out of that? Well, I went in and at the time, let's see, I graduated high school in, um, 1999. And so, at the time was really the, the dot-com boom was happening. It was the first kind of big boom. And uh, my growing up, my father always had computers around the house. He uh, was in, um, in computers at the time, you know, uh, helping run and, and set up IT departments for, for companies and organizations. And what that led me to do was um, have a lot of fluency with, um, you know, I grew up having a Commodore 64 128 in my room. I remember having pneumonia as a sixth grader and a seventh grader maybe. And I couldn't leave my room and I was just ill and I was super bored. And my dad came in one day and said, Hey, you know, um, here's this huge manual. It's probably 1500 pages. And he set up the Commodore 64 128. And he said, you know, there's some games in here. And he flips to the page. He said, but you have to type them in. And he's like, but you could do some pretty cool games. And I was like, like what? And he's like, well, there's a number guessing game here where it generates a number. And then you can try to guess what the number is. And it tells you higher or lower. And I was like, okay, well, I'm really bored. And I can't leave my room. So why not? And so that was my first introduction to computers was learning to program basic on a Commodore 64, which all seems so uh, old at this point, but was a great introduction to computers. And so when I got to college, I decided to do computer science. Hmm. And um, I was taking computer science courses, um, loved them. I hated the math portion, but what I loved about it was as I got into my sophomore, junior year, I noticed that I would spend the minimum amount of time to get the program that I had to write for my homework to work and function as it was supposed to. And then I would always spend an extra like five or six hours making it look good. Not mm. just the code, but you know, we'd have to design some interfaces. And I really realized where my passion was, was in user experience and, and designing those interfaces. So what I did is I went to the art department and I said, hey, you don't have anything like this 
and we're a small school, I want you to sit down with the Dean of the computer science program and the Dean of the art program. And let's come up with a dual major that allows me to combine these two things. And those two, two departments had never spoke before, right? I mean, furthest possible spectrums, yeah. art and computer science, right? And what I got them to do was allow me to have a minor in visual arts uh, that was um, digital, basically digital design. And so I was able to have some credits cross over and have, um, you know, computer science and visual arts degree in the end. Hmm. So when were you first introduced to the idea of funnels and, and really conversion rates? Yeah. So about, we started the good about 10 years ago. So I had been out of college. I was working at ad agencies, building websites because that was where they were done for years. Right. Yeah. And, um, was ending up kind of got thrown into the fire working with a startup ad agency. It was two guys from, from Madison Avenue, big firms in, in New York city moved to Cleveland. It's a startup firm and they had no idea about anything about the internet. And <laughs> so they hired and what did they do? They looked at the colleges around ground Cleveland, found a student who had a dual degree in computer science and visual arts said he knows everything about building websites. Let's just hire him. <laughs> And uh, so I remember being in a meeting with the CMO of Coke. I was six months out of college and I was wow. like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And they said, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. If you ask questions, answer it truthfully, do, do what you got to do. So, okay. And I remember sitting in that meeting and they said, yeah, we got to build at the time they used to call microsites, which is basically landing pages now, right? That were a little more interactive. And we have to build this for a campaign we're doing. And the idea here is to collect email addresses, which at the time was a new thing to move people down the funnel and, and do email marketing. This was what, 2003. Wow. So, um, and it was in the, in the CMO of Coke's like, hey, is John, is this something that you think you guys can pull off in the next month? And I was like, I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so that was kind of my first introduction to, to having to learn about funnels and how to entice people to really be able to submit their information, feel comfortable doing so from there, um, you know, a, a handful of years later ended up starting the good. Uh, we were an e-commerce conversion, uh, e-commerce, uh, agency, meaning we built e-commerce websites, uh, for a handful of years. Really what we found though was anyone can build an e-commerce website. And at the time, a lot of the, the SaaS or software as a service platforms like Shopify and big commerce and stuff were really starting to take off. What that meant was it was as easy as building a theme, which really didn't require a whole lot of, of um, specialized knowledge in e-commerce, if you will. And what we found was everybody really wanted to hire us to optimize those sites. And uh, it was because we built into every contract that we would not only build their website, but we, they had to stick around for three months after the site launched and had to optimize that website with us. The reason was I was doing two things. One is I was covering my own butt because anytime you launch a website, it's not going to be perfect the first time you launch it. And so I knew that, but clients always had this expectation of you're going to launch my website and it's going to be perfect. So 
what I said was, well, we're going to just be upfront and say three months of optimization is needed if you want to work with us. And, and that's just, you know, going to be what it is. Like it's just three months to clean up any issues that happen, make sure it's effective. Everybody else that was, you know, submitting proposals was saying, we'll launch your site, but they were taking what I call the launch and leave philosophy. Mm. They would launch the website and walk away and then charge more if the client wanted to fix something. And so we really put the effort into optimization. I, um, as development became more and more of a commodity, as I was mentioning earlier, I went around the country and interviewed all of our good clients. And I said, why did you choose to work with the good? What was the thing that, that really made you decide us to work with us over a competitor? They all said it was because of that optimization. That was what they wanted. None of them were looking at the code. None of them cared the quality of that code. They just cared if their website worked. And they knew they were going to burn it down and start over in probably three years anyways. So it just had to sort of get them you know, that, that next promotion. That was really what they cared about personally, is looking good and performing for the company. And we had a way to do that. And so what I realized was, and this is probably five years ago now, six years ago now, what I realized was that is where we provide value. So that's what we start specializing in. We no longer build e-com sites. We only help optimize them. Huh. So if you could go back in time and sort of whisper something uh, about funnels or about e-com websites into the young, like John McDonald's ear in like 2003 to like 2005, like what, what would you, what would you tell yourself? Like, what do you wish you would have known going into this? Well, I wish I would have had the foresight to say that e-commerce was going to be, especially development was going to become a commodity that that was where it was the fastest growing program in college in terms of the size of students. Now there's online courses and online training and you can learn by putting in a couple hours a day at most and, and be a pretty proficient front end programmer right? You don't have to have a computer science degree to, to be a front-end programmer. And so I guess I didn't have the foresight that that was going to be the case. But what I also figured out was that, you know, marketers, um, you know, I, I truly believe that if websites, e-commerce especially, originated with a sales team instead of a marketing team, way back when, you know, when they first started, we would have a different consumer experience online right now. It would be a lot more focused around the jobs to be done, the tasks that the consumers are looking to do, like research products and buy them, as opposed to having it be so, uh, uh, you know, and I use this term loosely, but ruined by marketing, right? If you think about it, how much of the internet right now is based around marketing instead of really helping the consumer get done what they are trying to, to accomplish? And, and I think that's the challenge. Um, and, and if I could talk to myself back then, it would be to have the foresight to realize that just like TV, just like radio, just like every other medium before, even the newspaper, you know, oh, any of those mediums are really all about the marketing that comes with them. And the user experience has suffered for each of those over the time, right? And as yeah. humans, we come up with ways to, to fix that. Right? We came up with the cassette tape so we don't have to listen to commercials. We came up with DVR so we don't have to watch them on TV. Uh, you know, think of all the you know, ways that, that newspapers have to sneak ads in around what you're trying to read now. 
or have sponsor articles and things like that um, just to get their messaging across. And I think, you know, it's a consistent battle between the consumer trying to do their research and convert as quickly and easily as possible and the marketing side who is, who is trying to make a living by sponsoring that, that, that content, that medium. Hmm. So talk to the young listener now who has an e-com website that wants to, to, to structure it more around the sales side of things than the marketing side of things. Like what are some of the things that they should be looking at when it comes to sort of changing that structural foundation from, from marketing to sales? Well, the first thing is, is to gain some empathy for the consumer, for the user of your site. Now, the best way to do that is to track every click and movement that's happening on your site. Now, I'm not talking about doing this in a creepy way. I'm talking about doing it in an aggregate way. So you're not looking at individuals. Sure. But using that data to help you understand where people are dropping off in the funnel, what content they're engaging with, what they're not engaging with, which is almost just as important or more important at times. And, you know, be able to understand what of these changes are going to work best. So what kind of data should you be looking at? Well, really become familiar with analytics. Extremely important. Um, You know, Google Analytics out of the box is really meant to help you sell more ads on Google, right? That's why they give it away for free. But there's a lot that you can do to to Google Analytics that will really help you dive a little deeper. There's a great view in there that allows you to see what paths people take through your site. Hmm. And uh, you can click on one page and then it will show you what other pages uh, are the paths people take from that page and how many visitors have done that. So you can see where people are dropping off and and the common paths through your site. Uh, Things like heat maps, click maps, scroll maps, that type of data, being familiar with how to collect it, what that means. And it's super inexpensive right now. Uh, There's a great tool called Hotjar, H-O-T-J-A-R. It's $9 a month to put it up on your site. Super cheap for the data that you get out of it. And just learn about what people are doing on your site. Have empathy for that consumer and what challenges they're having. That's really going to be the key for, for optimizing your site and just getting started, right? It's, it's so much easier than I think what people are, are really trying to do with the funnels and, and dive so much deeper. When really, if you just have an understanding of what people are doing, where their blockers are, and you help have empathy for how they're approaching your site, you're going to be much better off. That's so key. That's, I mean, empathy is, is huge. And just like, yeah, putting yourself in their shoes and, and thinking like, okay, if I was somebody who came to my site to buy something, like what would I be looking for and what would be most helpful? Um, those are, those are the, definitely the questions that, that our listeners should be asking themselves. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. So what are some of the biggest issues that you see or that you see through, through the good um, of the clients that you work with and of, of the funnels that you see, of the e-commerce websites you see? What are some of the biggest areas or sort of mistakes that you, that you see our clients making on a regular basis? Well, the, the first is that I see brands who, in e-commerce sites who build the site for themselves instead of the consumer. Hmm. It's, it, now, that may sound pretty high level, but let's dive a little deeper on it. It's very easy to, for instance, have a navigation on your site that you understand because you're in your business every day you built your website, you know how you structured your products. It's a completely different point of view when somebody who has never heard of your product has no idea what you're selling and is coming to your site and you have two seconds 
to help them figure that out. Are they in the right place? And can you help them solve their pain or need? Those are the two things that you need to be able to do very quickly. And if you think about it that way, then you're going to have a much more effective navigation, a much more effective funnel through your site. Now, look, people are only at a website for two reasons. One is to, they, they have a pain or need, right? So they're at your site to research and understand if you can solve that pain or need. And then if you can, they want to convert. They want to understand how to, how to buy that product as quickly and easily as possible. Anything else that you're doing on your site is really just marketing at that consumer. And it most likely is getting in the way of them completing those two tasks. Look, marketing is wonderful for getting people to your site. But once they've reached your site, your marketing has won. It's done its job. Now it's time to start serving the consumer's uh, jobs that they want to get done. Hmm. That's, that's super interesting. And, and sort of think about that. How, how have you found it best to catch people's attention in that, in that early few seconds and really show them that they're in the right place? Like what are consumers typically looking for um, when it comes to like figuring out if they're in the right place or not? Well, let's think about it this way. Um, how many websites have you been to on a daily basis where you pull up the website, you click on a link or an ad or something, you get there and you say, I have no idea what these guys do, mm. right? Yeah. Probably more often than you think about. And you have to kind of scroll and around and click on a few nav items before you're like, ah, okay, I understand what they do. So having that value proposition up front and center right away is extremely important. Now, most people, the biggest thing on the homepage is this auto-rotating carousel of marketing messages. Maybe it's a featured product after featured product or some campaign or you know, summer sale, 20% off. But to a consumer who's never been there before, right? They don't know what you sell. They just see summer sale 20% off. And they're like, off what? What am I buying? How can you help me? Right? Am I in the right place? And again, the marketers or the site owner who has put those messages up there has done a really good job of getting in that consumer's way of completing those tasks. Now, that they're not doing it intentionally. They're doing it because they're on their website every day. They already know what they sell. So they don't feel like they have to answer that question, right? It's not a question that pops into their mind, which is perfectly fine. But that's where we keep going back to that empathy for the consumer. Hmm. So how do you have any strategies that our listeners can start to implement as far as like putting themselves in that sort of beginner's mindset or, or having empathy for their site visitors? Like how, how can we start to disconnect from sort of the depth that we have gone into in our own businesses and relate more with that, with that new person coming to our site? Nothing works better than actually talking to your consumers. Just talk to them. Now, the best way to do that is you can just ask people, hey, I will, can I interview you? I'll, I'll give you a X dollars in free product or a discount percentage off for your time. You will be surprised how many people that are actually fans of, of your products and, and like what you have and are willing to answer questions. Now, you know, you, this goes, uh, it, there's one other tactic you can use and that's called user testing. Now, this is where you send people who match your ideal customer profile and you send them to your site and you ask them to complete tasks on your site and you ask them to speak out loud about what they're thinking as they're completing those tasks. 
Now, there's a whole bunch of tools online to help you do this. They're all very expensive. So I wouldn't even bother looking at those. The easiest thing to do, take a laptop to, you know, um, to your college, right? And sit down and just walk up to somebody and who just maybe is, is, looks like they're sitting around or something and say, hey, can I give you $10 to ask you a few questions and have you use this website? right? It's going to be the best $10 you ever spent. And I guarantee you they're going to say yes. And if they say no, just keep asking other people, right? At this point, you're probably used to rejection. It's fine. You'll get people to do it and um, you will learn so much from that. And I think, you know, the idea here is just, you know, you're going to see it through someone else's eyes. It doesn't require any training. Just pull the website up and say, hey, can you, I, you know, uh, tell me, Within, I'm going to show you the website and within five seconds, I need you to tell me exactly what I'm selling. Go. And then the, ask them to talk out loud about it and where they're looking on the screen and what they're thinking about, right? Mm. You will learn so much just from doing that. That's fascinating. That, that's, really, that's really actionable stuff that our listeners can go out there and do. I'm thankful for you sharing that. Yeah, of course. I, you know, there's, there's, you know, talking to consumers, they're just doing consumer surveying. Nothing is going to beat that. Hmm. That's, that's the truth. I mean, those are the people you're trying to reach. So you just got to go in there and reach them and, and talk to them. So beyond that, I'm curious as well, like when, when the good is working with, with someone who has, who has a funnel, like what are some of the initial sort of things that you're looking at with that funnel? What are some of the initial sort of like things you're taking stock of things that you're making notes of things that you are, are thinking about, like having a conversation with them about? So we always start with a full audit of the site. Now, this is very much like walking into a doctor's office. They need to do a diagnosis before they prescribe anything. Mm -hmm. It's very similar for us in our process. We go in and and we want to audit the site. So what that means is, are they tracking the right data? All those data sets I mentioned. If they're not, we help them set that up and we want to establish clean baselines, right? Where are they at now with that data? What's happening on their site? What are the paths people taking? What, what content are they engaging with? All of that information. If they, you know, we then take that information and, and we roll that up into an audit report that the idea behind this is, is just to help, again, bring that consumer's point of view to the table, but also for us to um, understand where should, where are the highest impact areas that we can attack first on the site. And so using that, uh, we then dive into forming what we call an AB testing plan. Now, AB testing, if you're not familiar with it is, uh, where say there's a hundred people coming to the website, we can take 50 of those people and show them one variation and 50 and show another variation. Now, what that means is we can then track the data to understand which of those two variations is going to perform best based on who orders more, who spends more, who just goes further down the funnel even. It doesn't have to be a purchase. There's a lot of tools out there that can, that can help you test these things. It can be, you can test anything really from a simple headline change to an image change to a completely different page to changing your navigation uh, and these tools are actually not that complicated to use. In fact, Google has one that's free that it rivals some of the really expensive ones. It's called Google Optimize. It works really well with Google Analytics. And uh, it has a what you see is what you get editor in it. So almost anybody can run some, some simple testing on there. And 
if you're not running testing, you know, you're not alone. A lot of most sites aren't, but if you just start diving in and doing some testing, you're likely in the top 10% of all sites right there. So, you know, I, you'd be surprised. I mean, we work with brands like Nike, Xerox, Adobe, The Economist, uh, and dozens and dozens of e-commerce sites. And I can tell you that the vast majority, even some of the enterprise ones that come to work at the good or work with us at the good aren't doing effective testing. They're just not doing A-B testing and they're probably not even tracking the right data at times. So just getting really clear on that will really propel you ahead very, very quickly. For sure. So for the beginner, what are some of the, the, the things they should be testing first? I mean, I know everyone talks about like, like testing your button color between like red or blue, but like, what are the important things that people should be looking at first? Like, is it like images? Is it navigation? Like what, what, where should people start? I think that they should start with content. Now, what I mean by that is, are they being very clear with their messaging right up front? And are they communicating that benefit and value proposition right away? Now, there are so many checklists and things online about conversion optimization. What should you test? What should you be thinking about first? And I can tell you that the vast majority of those, there's really no best practices when it comes to conversion optimization. There's only data and data based on your specific site's visitors. And this is why I keep going back to have to have the right data, right? Because there's so many misconceptions out there about how changing a button color. I read an article not too long ago that said this company changed a button color and it led to like $5 million in additional revenue. And I was like, there's no way. Like, and I started reading the article and you know, it, it, the reality is, is that they were running like 20 different tests at once and somehow they decided, not even really based on data, they just decided that the button color was the one because everybody was clicking the button. Here's the thing, every button color test we've run, none of them have had a meaningful difference. There's no, it doesn't matter what color your button is. We've had red ones perform just as well as green ones, as white, as black. Here's the thing, it just needs to have some contrast on the page. That's it. It needs to be seen. People need to see it and it has to have a good, clear message. And that's really it. Um, beyond that, you know, these checklists and, and whatnot are, are really not that helpful. What's helpful is understanding where your site visitors are dropping off and then and start investigating. Why do you think people are dropping off? Keep asking why. Why are people dropping off on this page? Is it because of X, Y, and Z? Why, why are they not doing that? Why are they not clicking where I need them to click? And then you start coming up with hypotheses around that, right? Uh, you know, I think people aren't clicking on these because of this, these challenges. And it becomes a much more of a scientific process. Hmm. Yeah, we've been coming back to data so many times. And I think it's just very clear at this point that like you need to be looking at the numbers, like whether it's Google Analytics, whether you go for more robust like tracking software, like you guys need to be looking at your numbers and really monitoring what the people are doing once they get to your site. Because like, again, you can, you can theoreticize all day long about what you should be doing or like best practices, but like until you actually look at your data and make decisions based on that data, you're, you're really, you're, you're just, you're just playing around. You're, you're not, you're not taking the action that you need to be taking to, to be moving in a direction that's going to be like most effective for you. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and look, you can go out and test whatever you want, but here's the thing, sporadically testing just random things on your site is not going to be effective. So you really need to base that on the actual clicks and movements of your site's visitors. Mm, absolutely. John, you've been providing a ton of value so far, and I'm extremely grateful for that. I do have some questions now that I like to ask all of my guests. So are you feeling ready for those? Let's have it. Awesome. The first of which is what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? It could be something um, that the good is doing, could be something really in any realm whatsoever, but what has genuinely got you fired up? What's really got me fired up right now is the democratization of conversion optimization. It, is, it used to be a thing that only massive corporations could do. And one of the things we have been working really hard to do here at The Good is find ways to bring that down to even the small e-com sites. How could they start doing that stuff themselves? And I'm not talking about just going out and getting a tool that helps you build landing pages and anything like that. I'm talking about how you can get that consumer data and how you can learn how to think in that manner. And uh, one of the resources that we have is uh, we have an email list that uh, has just helpful learning, educational around CRO. There's no sales pitches. It's not about working with us. It's purely about helping democratize CRO. Um, if you just go to thegood.com and scroll down to the footer, there's a, a quick button there. You can sign up for, for what we call insights. Uh, we've been writing them for almost 10 years now. Uh, we put one out every week. It's really great content. Highly recommend if you like what you heard today, being able to read more and learn more. That's, that's a great place to do it. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that resource. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes. Now, John, earlier in the episode, you mentioned your morning routine, and I'm wondering if you have any additional habits or things you do on a regular basis that have served you well, either in your business or your lifestyle. Yes. Two things um, that have really crossed over between those, because as a business owner, you probably know there's, you know, the switch between those, it can be very difficult. Yeah. The first thing that I do is um, every morning when I first get into the office, it's very common for people to check their email and start responding to all the emails. The problem with that is that you're letting other people control the start to your day. You're putting out everyone else's fires instead of fixing or working on the number one thing you want to do for the day. So the first thing I do is I only send emails for the first half hour I'm in the office. Hmm. That means I'm communicating out what I need done from the team or from clients or whatever it might be. And that means I'm moving my items forward before I'm helping anyone else accomplish their items. And that's really important. Now, I'm not saying do that all the time, but it is extremely effective. Be surprised how effective it is. The second thing is, is that I use Asana which is a, a to-do list or project management platform, but they have for a free version that is basically a, a to-do list, if you will. And um, I use that to organize everything, personal and business. The first thing I have found is I just go in and I set up headers in, in that big to-do list for each day of the week. And then I go in and I just, anytime I need to get something done, big or small, I put it in that list. And then I don't have to think about it anymore. It's out of my head. And mm. then I set every day, I have um, two one-hour blocks set aside for just knocking items off of that list that are small items. If it takes me a couple of minutes, I just do it. I don't think about it. I just do it. Because the problem is if you spend time thinking about it and keep coming back to that item that only could have taken you 
three minutes or five minutes to respond, I'm going to spend way more than five minutes on it. So I just do it. And I use those couple hours a day to just knock out those small tasks. It works extremely well for getting stuff done. Mm, I love that. And what was the resource you mentioned for how you organize all that? It's called Asana, A-S-A-N-A. And it's basically just a, um, a to-do list. You could use any to-do list program. But what I really love about this is it allows me to um, add notes to each to-do list item. Mm. And you can attach files and links and other things like that. And then you can also view it in a Kaban board style if you wanted to, which means you just have columns for each day of the week and you can drag and drop them between the columns. So if I don't get something done today and I know it can wait till tomorrow, I can move it over there. But each day I try to clear that entire list and things I don't get done, I move to the next day. So I know they're, they're on the list, not forgotten about. That means by the end of the day, by the time I, I sit down in the evening to relax with my family, I'm clear. I'm not stressed out about what I have to do and, oh, I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. I can just enjoy my evening and relax. And, and that's what's, I have a two and a half year old now. That's become really important to me is to spend that family time and not have to stress about those items. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So John, I'm curious whether there's any content you're currently consuming right now, whether that's books you're reading, audiobooks you're listening to, podcasts, YouTube channels. Like, is there any content that you are getting a lot of value from right now? I'm getting a lot of value from uh, the content that the team over at Drift is putting out. I don't know if you're familiar with Drift, but it's a chat bot that you can put on your site. A uh, really great tool uh, at the good. We, we've had clients, we've been advising them on how to use those for, for well over a year now. And we just put it on our own site a month or so ago and have been having a lot of fun uh, playing around with it. And uh, that, you know, Drift, their, their marketing team markets to marketers, right? It's really kind of awesome in a way. And uh, what they're able to do is produce some really great content. And um, they have uh, just the books that their team has written and the content that they're putting out right now is just, it's really high, high value, quick reads, really, really great education on not only how to start up a lean business, um, but also how to do marketing in a way that involves the consumer. So of course they're preaching to the choir a little bit here, right? Because I, I speak about that a lot, but um, the content has just been very, very quality and they give it all away for free. They don't mm -hmm. care. I mean, obviously they care if you sign up, but they don't do it to get you to sign up. They're getting, they're getting their word out, their gospel out to the world. And I'd love that for, for content marketing that's become so flooded um, with, with content, they have done a really great job of standing out. That's awesome. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes for our listeners as well. That sounds like a really amazing resource. Yeah. They have a new program they called, uh, uh launched called drift insider. So, um, you can easily Google that and find that. Cool. Well, John, you've been providing a ton of value so far today. I'm extremely grateful for that. Where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about you, the good and everything that you have going on right now? Yeah. So, uh, the good is available, uh, on our site at the good.com T H E G O O D.com. Uh, there's a ton again, educational content up under insights. Um, and if you ever wanted any help optimizing your site, that would be a great place to go, um, to get in touch with us. And you can learn a little bit about me and myself at John MacDonald.com. That's J O N M A C D O N A L D.com. 
Awesome. Well, John, again, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Do you have any last parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to leave the listener with here today? Just get started. Go today. Mm. Words of wisdom. John, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, there we go. Another episode of Young Smart Money in the Books. Glad you guys were here to spend it with us um, and really soak up as much value as possible from the guest of the day. Now, if you guys haven't already left us a review on iTunes, I know I say it at the end of every single episode, but I really do love those reviews. We've got nearly 200 at this point, which is absolutely amazing. It's crazy to see.